Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 12th of July 2015, entitled On the Winning Side, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 12 again this morning, of course, as we continue to look through God's Word, I can only say that if you were not here in the service last Sunday, I apologize. You've already missed the first half of this one, but uh, I'm sure God can speak to you in the second half, and I hope that, uh, uh, that He will do that. Uh, we thank God that uh, we have His Word before us that's been preserved for us. And now as we take our reading from Acts chapter 12, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's precious, preserved, holy word. Acts chapter 12 and verse 1. So now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. When he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. The angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. They said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. When they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. 
And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and their abode. Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because... He gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Father, as we continue to look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we thank you, Lord, for that which you have shown to us and spoken to us thus far. And we pray now, Lord, in the time that we have together here this morning, Lord, that you would take this passage and speak to our hearts. Lord, to each and every one of us, that which would help us here today, Lord, to be able to, Lord, if it's those that are lost, that have never been saved, to come to know Jesus Christ. For someone that may be walking far off, to be drawn near once again that one that may be facing particular struggles and battles and challenges in their life, Lord, that they would be strengthened and encouraged today. And Lord, for each of us, that we would be the witnesses, the light of what you truly can and will do in each of our lives. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. We looked down through verse 19 last week and We'll be picking up in verse 20 here in just a moment. I'd like to read once again from Ephesians chapter 1. The Word of God says, beginning there in verse 15, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We began to look last week, the simple thought that 
the battle is real. A battle is raging. And every human being alive is involved. They are part of it. It's not something that we can choose to somehow just pull back and be a neutral zone and not have anything to do with it. It's real. And of course, we began to talk about this thing of being on the winning side. Now, we've looked at some illustrations and I was thinking as I was reading this of a few things, you know, as a, as a young lad growing up, I love being involved in athletics. I know I look very athletic still, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was basketball or if it was baseball or if it was American football. I didn't know what soccer was in those days. I'm sorry. <laughs> but man, I love being involved. I love being competitive, but I never, ever one time enjoyed losing. I liked winning, and I liked being on a winning side. And sometimes when you just weren't always on the winning side, and they used to tell you all these things about, well, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game and all these different things. And we know that that really is true when it comes to these athletics and things like that. There's a lot to it. I can remember as my own children were growing up, with my wife, I'll tell her, oh, she's back there, that's good. <laughs> She used to fuss at me sometimes because I didn't let the children win enough because I was too competitive with them. But I said, honey, I said, I want them to learn to win. I want them to learn that winning doesn't just come automatically in life. And I mean, I, I did try to be gracious and kind and, you know, but the thing is, is that thrill that comes. I mean, I can remember Amber getting so thrilled the first time that she beat me in a game of tennis, you know, well, I never used to try to thrash her in tennis, but I didn't just let her win for the sake of winning because you never get better that way. But these are all just games in life. And we can be very competitive. And even in that, though, most of us prefer to be on the winning side rather than the losing side. But we're talking about a battle for your life. We're talking about a battle that doesn't just have the consequences of whether we smile or maybe even cry. Yeah, some people are so distraught at losing a tennis match that they may burst into tears. But we're talking about a battle that has eternal consequences. And we've looked at a number of those things, and we've looked at this great illustration that was shown here in the book of Acts. And of course, as we began to look there last week, we talked about being on the winning side, that we want to be on the winning side, and there is only one winning side, and we will be on the winning side or the losing side. And that being on the winning side, that does apply to all of eternity, as we just read about in Ephesians there. But it also applies to your day-to-day -day life. You see, we are fighting for eternity, but many times it feels pretty ferocious, the battle that you're fighting just to get through today, to handle this situation. You feel like you're being beaten down and you're being defeated and that every time you're trying to do what's right that you just end up on the wrong end of it. We talked last week and we don't have time to go back there. We, we see this account. You know, here, here's this king. 
We talked about who he was in relation to some of his forefathers and those that would come after him. But here he is. And what he, he was wanting to be popular with the people. And so this is where we find the first of the apostles actually losing their life here as he decides to kill James, to take his life. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And he saw that this made the Jews so happy. It made him so popular with the people that he decided to go after Peter as well. And he takes Peter and he locks him away in the prison. We talked about how, talk about overkill, you know, 16 guards on one guy and all of this. And yet, and yet, we saw God's power. Peter was in a battle there that day. Yes, he was in an eternal battle, but he was fighting that day. He was locked away in prison that day. And just as we sang earlier, our God was able to deliver him. And we talked about that, that power that was there last week and that the way to get access to that power was through prayer. Here they were. Peter was locked away in prison. Here's these other Christians. They're praying away for God to do something about it. Of course, when he does, it absolutely shocks them. They don't believe it. It's not real. You know, Peter thought he was having a dream when the angel was leading him out of the prison. He suddenly felt like this is real. That was an angel of the Lord. You know, I'm free. The people were so dumbfounded when he came knocking on the door, praying for him. But yet, when God did it, it still astonished them. We find that what we talked about last week was that you don't want to be on the losing side. You don't want to be on the losing side in eternity. I don't care what battles you might think that's so terrible for you. This is one time you do not want to be on the losing side. But you want to be on the winning side, not just eternity, day by day, because God is the one. It's God's power. We talked about his, his power being unmatchable. There's nothing out there to compare to it, being prolific, inexhaustible. You just can't run out of it. It'll never finish being on the winning side because we're talking about there's two sides to this, and they're both powerful, but no power compares to God's power. But I want to give you a second thing here as we look into verse 20 that we talk about the winning side. We want to be on the winning side not just because of God's power, but because of God's position. You see, people hold important positions, and people want to be on the, on the side of that which is the most important. We find here in this story that Herod held that position of importance. It said that Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of God and not a man. You see, some months have passed here now since that Peter was released from prison. We're told here that Herod was highly displeased. In other words, he was angry. <laughs> he was upset with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now, being from a different country, they were not under the direct rule of this guy who was King Herod. 
But the Bible tells us here it was of importance because they were nourished by him. In other words, they were being fed by this man. This was what brought them their day-to-day needs. So here's this guy. That makes him in a pretty important position. Herod was very displeased with them. Herod held great influence over these people because they depended upon him literally for their food. You can go back. We don't have time this morning, but if you go back into 1 Kings chapter 5, Ezra chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 27, you'll find examples in the Old Testament of this very thing that's being talked about here at this point. It simply would not be in the interest. As a matter of fact, it could be downright dangerous to have Herod as your enemy, (laughs) to have this man highly displeased with you. If he's the guy that's making it possible for where your next meal is going to come from, You see, he could just cut you off. He could cut off that food supply. At any rate, the Bible says here that they came with one accord to him. Some way, they had made a friend of the king's chamberlain. And having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend. So they had had a go-between. So many times when we want to get to somebody that's important and we don't have exact access, we have a go-between. Well, they had a go-between here in this, in this chamberlain that could go to the king on their behalf and try to somehow resolve this king's anger against them. Well, we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, but they obviously met some kind of an agreement and they set aside this, this, this day, and here then the king comes, the Bible tells us all, and set aside a day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, set up on his throne, and made an oration unto them. So somehow they had reached some kind of an agreement, to, and here comes Herod. And he's decked out in the finest that he can deck to show how important a person that he is as the king. Now, if we read outside of the Bible, the historian Josephus tells us here that he actually describes the garment that Herod was wearing that day. And apparently the, the, the garment that Herod was wearing that day was supposedly made of all silver. You know, it just glistened. You know, you know like on Sunday evenings here, sometimes when the sun is shining through that window and your pastor is just glistening up here in the sunlight. <laughs> well, Herod had on this garment that was literally made of silver. I mean, man, it was flashy. You know, when I first read that, I thought, oh, that was kind of like an Elvis suit because he used to have all this glitter and everything. When the, when the lights hit him, you know, he just, he just sparkled. Well, Herod's going all out here. He's put on this really fancy clothing, all silver. He comes out there, and, and of course, as he entered this amphitheater with all of the people and everything, it's said that he came in literally just as the right time when the sun was shining and he would be in the, in the spotlight and he was putting on a magnificent show for these people to show them how important a person that he was. He was proclaiming that position that he held. Well, the people were so impressed. And I mean, he obviously, 
gave a great oratory speech, so much so that when they saw him there in his fancy garment and they heard what he said, the Bible says, and the people gave a shout saying, it's the voice of a God, not of a man. He impressed them pretty good. <laughs> when the people looked at him and they actually thought that they were looking upon a God instead of looking upon a man of this earth. And of course, we could look at many parallels there. But you know, as, as, as I thought back, I, I thought about, you know, Jones and his crazy Kool-Aid and all these different cults and things of the world and how that sometimes people, they can impress other people in such a way that they'll just follow them and they'll believe anything and they'll do anything almost. But where my mind really went to there was I thought, wow, you know, <laughs> the Bible tells us about one that's going to array himself and he's going to be such an orator that when he comes and sits upon his throne to look over the people as Herod did here, they're going to believe that he's the Messiah, that he's the Christ, though he is the Antichrist. He is going to deceive those upon this earth like they have never been deceived before. Folks, that's all part of the battle that we're in. And I'm saying that in this world, people choose sides. And people have a way of impressing just as King Herod does here. We find that God's response can come very quickly when we begin to think upon things of this world, people of this world, as being in a higher position and many times taking that higher position in our lives that doesn't please God. Because you see, just as we said that God's power was unmatchable and that it was prolific, we see that God's position is unequaled. There is no position of the world there is no place of authority. There is no place of importance. There is nowhere nobody can hold a position in this world that equals the position that Jesus Christ has been given. We just read about it there when he goes back and he's sitting there at the right hand of God and everything else we know <laughs> that the enemy is going to be made his footstool. <laughs> you see, we want to be on the winning side. God's side is the winning side because his power is unmatchable. It is prolific and inexhaustible. But God's position, and I'm speaking specifically of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is unequaled. It is preeminent. It is above all others. There is none other that even comes close to being equal. To his position. According to Josephus, when God brought down his judgment here, it says, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Why? Why? Because of his fancy dress? Because of the great speech that he gave? The Bible says, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. 
He gave not God the glory. Nice ending. Eaten of worms, gave up the ghost. The Bible doesn't paint a pretty picture when it's not a pretty picture. You see, remember this. This began with Herod deciding to be on the opposing side. He was the one that wanted to fight against God. He was the one that cut James with the sword. He's the one that put Peter in jail. He's the one that decided to go against God instead of being on God's side. You don't go against God. And I don't care what position that you hold. There is no position that compares to his position. You see, he was fighting on the losing side. He never, ever, ever had a chance. He was a man of such power, position, obviously charisma, that people actually saw him as God. I mean, in man's eyes. And he had arrived. He was there. But yet, when he failed to give God the glory, God had other plans for him. He had an important position as a king. He had a popular position with the people in this world. But that is no comparison to God's position, his unequaled, his preeminent position that is above all others. Oh, you can be on the winning side today. But to be on the winning side, you've got to be on God's side because of God's power, a power that is unmatchable and prolific because of God's position that is unequaled and preeminent to all others. And may I say finally, because of God's purpose. God's purpose. Do you notice what it said there in verse 24? Now remember, Herod starts out fighting against God. You ever fight against God? Don't deceive yourself. Don't kid yourself. You probably do it every day. God says this. Oh, not really. Not right now, God. Not right now. Not, not that. Not here. Later. See, so often, so often we're going contrary to God without even stopping and thinking about it. Of course, Herod had made a conscious decision to fight on the other side, to go contrary to God. So we find that he's trying to stamp out God. But in all of this, what's happening in the end? Well, Sorry, Herod's laying there being eaten by worms. Pretty graphic, eh? <laughs> He's gone. He's decayed. He's back to the, to the dirt that he came from, being enjoyed as a meal by the worms of the earth. But the word of God grew and multiplied. <laughs> he thought he was going to put God out. Guess what? He's laying there being eaten by the worm, and God's word is growing and multiplying amidst it all. He was fighting a losing battle. He was fighting on the wrong side. God has a plan. God has a purpose, a predetermined purpose, and it will be accomplished. He's got a purpose for this world. He's got a purpose for the church. He's got a purpose for his chosen nation, the people of Israel. He's got a purpose for every Christian today. He's got a purpose for Satan and all the fallen angels that went with him. And yes, there's even a purpose and a plan for every human being that chooses 
to follow the other side, to follow Satan. Though God never wishes for that. It's not God's will that any should perish. Don't say that they're following Satan and that they're suffering the consequences of that because that God somehow gets joy out of that. God has paid the ultimate price for them. But you see, there is a predetermined end for the saint and for the sinner. Luke is reminding us of something here. (laughs) That despite all the furious opposition coming against the church, coming against the Christians. God's purpose is being fulfilled. The church continues to grow. God's word is growing and multiplying. The enemy. The enemy thought he was going to stop the influence and the spread of this Christianity. God's purpose was different. And God's purpose is the one that matters. He says in verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when, what does it say there? When they had fulfilled their ministry. So many times we just read over these words and we don't let them sink in and we don't stop and think about what God is saying. You see, if we recall back, read the last chapter, chapter 11, before getting into chapter 12. We left with Barnabas and Saul heading off to Jerusalem with the relief offerings that had been collected at Antioch to take to the saints at Jerusalem. Now, here they are having fulfilled their ministry, having done what God sent them there to do. God sent them there for a purpose, for a ministry that he had specified, and now they have fulfilled their ministry. And therefore, they're leaving and moving on in their lives. Folks, it's hard for us sometimes. And it might be harder for me than for any of you to get my head around God. God's love. God's sovereignty. His purposes and everything to be accomplished. I can tell you this, though. No matter how little or how much that you understand of it, God has an eternal purpose. God has a purpose for your life. You do not want to be fighting on the wrong side. He wouldn't be much of a God if he didn't have a plan. And he wouldn't be much of a God if he couldn't carry out his plans. What would be the purpose in following a God that didn't even know where he was going or didn't have any control in what was taking place? What would be the purpose in following a God that could just change his mind along the way and decide to do something different? I don't expect you to understand it, but I expect that we as Christians must accept by faith God is God. God has a purpose. And it is unalterable. Nobody can change it. God's will will be accomplished. And it's predestined. It's predetermined. I know that we can get into a whole lot of things here. And I don't believe God created a bunch of robots. I don't believe that he doesn't give you a choice. I don't believe that goes totally contrary. But I believe this. 
God is sovereign. God's in control. God knows the end from the beginning and God has a predetermined purpose in everything that takes place and nothing happens unless he allows it and it will end up as he has planned it. The thing is, is where do you fit in to all of this? There is a battle that's raging. We can ask ourselves all kind of questions. Well, why, why would Satan keep fighting a losing battle? Well, why do we fight a lot of losing battles in our lives? I mean, we all fight losing battles sometimes. Why? Why do we fight for some of the things we do? And why, why, don't we, why aren't we smart enough to recognize and realize when we've lost? We're all involved. We're all on one of two sides. There are no other sides to choose. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral zone. Right now, at this moment, you need to recognize which side you're on. And you need to get serious about it. Where does your allegiance lie? Remember, We've already seen that not to be for him is to be against him. Are you on the winning side? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying just a couple of things in closing. I'm saying to you, every one of you here today, do you know which side you're on? I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking how often you go to church. I'm not asking how faithful you are, how committed. I'm asking, do you know with absolute certainty, not because somebody told you, not because of something that you did, not because of something some church did, but do you know with absolute certainty today that there's a point that you have humbled yourself before the holy God, the God of creation, the sovereign God of this universe, and admitted that you're a sinner and accepted that it's only because of what Jesus Christ did for you that your sins can and will be forgiven. Have you done that? Oh, today I wish, I wish there was some way that I could take every human being and I could somehow, you know, one of my, my greatest fears as a preacher is, God, I know that you've shown this to me. I know that you've said this to me, but how in the world can I ever get that message across to the people? You see, if you're here and you're lost today, I wish there was something I could say. But if God is speaking to your heart right now, I don't care what else you know or don't know. If you don't know that you're a child of God, if you don't know that you've been washed in the blood, if you don't know that your sins have been forgiven, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you right now, why would you want to go back through that door knowing that the enemy wants to destroy you, knowing that he wants to take you out of this world, that he wants you for eternity? Why would you do that? Why would you take that risk? Today, you need to know there's only two sides. If you don't know that you're on the right side, you better get there quick. Now, I can ask you all kinds of things today. You know, if you're on the winning side, are you in the battle like you ought to be? Are you trying to sit back and let everybody else fight it for you? We're in a battle. You're on the winning side if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. There is no doubt about that. What are you committed to today? 
What's important in your life? <laughs> Are the things of this world more important to you than the salvation of souls? What little time we have. I am so convinced. You know, I, I, I wish that somehow I could unconvince myself a little bit. <laughs> I am so convinced that the time of Christ's coming is at hand. And there's people I love and people that I care for, and yet they're not ready to meet him. And it's like part of me is screaming out, yes, Lord, please, come and get us out of here. And yet I'm crying out with everything within, but Lord, oh, please, I want this person to be saved. I want this person to be able to join me in eternity today. Are you fighting the battle? We sang the song last week, you know, who's on the Lord's side? Who's on the Lord's side? Are you on the Lord's side? Are you fighting that battle today? Oh, I hope you are. I, I, again, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, wish, I wish that somehow <laughs> that I could, I could have the words, the expression, that I could be enough of an orator, that there's absolutely no way that you could miss the point of what God is showing us. He wants you on his side. He's done everything that you can be on his side. And he's on your side. Whatever you're going through, whatever you might be fighting, whatever discouragements you're going through, he's able to deliver you. When you're on his side, you are on the winning side. But today, are you committed to him? Father, Lord, I realize I feel so totally inept. Lord, it's simply trying to Lord, get across the simple message of the importance of being on the winning side. Lord, today I pray for each individual that is here that's under the sound of this message. Lord, not because of the ability of how it's been orated, but Lord, because of your word, the power of your spirit, I pray. Lord, you speak to the hearts. I know that I can't say anything that'll make a difference, but Lord, you speak those words that can only come from you. The power of your spirit you speak to hearts, not just the words that go to the men's heads, but those that penetrate our very being. You know everyone here today. You know the needs of each one here today. I pray, Lord, that you would do your work. I pray that today that we could all leave here today knowing, knowing without a shadow of a doubt, praise God, we're on the winning side. No matter how fierce the battle may get, we're on the winning side. Help us, Lord, to be committed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.